As uh, you know, as a community, we've extended an invitation to uh, the parliamentary candidates of the three main political parties in advance of the general election at the beginning of May. If you're not aware of that, you've been living under a rock somewhere. Uh, But you will uh, know there is an opportunity for you to vote. You will know our encouragement for us to be actively involved. And with that in mind, we've invited each candidate to share a Sunday morning with us. We're delighted that this morning David Ellesmere and his wife Carol uh, from the Labour Party are here with us. And I wonder if you give David a very warm welcome as David comes and joins me. The foot, yeah, to do, by all means. Just thank you uh, so much for, for inviting me today. I'm really privileged, um, you know, to have seen, uh, you know, just what a joy uh, you've all got as a, as a community. Uh, I think it is very important that um, we do encourage people to vote. It is so important, and I think it's really good that as a church you're reaching out into the community. And I've seen this as a local councillor for the area where we had a very difficult time uh, after the murders and the way everybody came together to heal the community after that I think there's just been an inspiration not just the rest of Ipswich but I think to the rest of the country uh, and I know that the work that you've done uh, with London Road with Watch and so on it just shows that you know you're not an insular community but you're you're living your your faith you're very welcome. Uh, I'm, I know that your choice is impeccable. Uh, Carol's a Welsh lady. Chose a Welsh lady. So, that, that's it. That's nothing else to say. Uh, this <laughs> T- tell us, though, David, just a, a little bit about yourself. What brought you to Ipswich and uh, why you're involved in politics? Yeah, I was, I've... Um, I've sort of lived a, a little bit around the country. So I was born in, in Yorkshire, and then I, I lived uh, near Scunthorpe, went to university in Brighton uh, at Sussex. And some, while, I was, while I was there, I probably shouldn't have... I uh, probably should have tried rather harder than I did to get a job. Um, and it turned out that somebody on my course uh, was started his own, his own software company. I'm a software developer, and he was based in Ipswich. Uh, so he offered me a job, uh, and I was having to come up to Ipswich more and more, uh, and I eventually moved here in 1992. And I've worked for a number of different software development companies uh, in Ipswich uh, since that time. So Ipswich is definitely my hometown now, uh, and you know, whatever happens, I'm going to be staying here, uh, and I want the best for us. Um, since I since I came here, I also um, joined, I joined the Labour Party. I actually joined the Labour Party when I came to Ipswich because I didn't know anybody who was here, and I thought it would be a good way to get to know people. Uh, and it certainly takes over your life uh, in a way that I imagine um, the church takes over <laughs> uh, many people's lives as well. Um, so uh, I became a councillor. Uh, I'm now leader of the council, and again, I try to I try to. Uh, demonstrate through our running of the council what my principles are. So as a member of the Labour Party, I believe that we achieve more when we work together rather than just everybody going off and doing their own thing, Um, and that power and wealth and opportunity should be in the hands of the many and not just the few. So we try to to show that in our work through the council in Ipswich. So 
We're paying the living wage, which is higher than the minimum wage. Uh, we make sure that none of our staff are on a zero-hours contract. We've ensured that the council uh, has, has worked so that we become a fair trade town. We've helped the credit union uh, have a presence in the town centre, so they're helping so many more people as well. Uh, and building council houses for the first time in 25 years so we can provide uh, decent, affordable housing for people that need it. And, you know, that's, that's why I got into politics, is to help people who can't necessarily help themselves. You've answered my next question, oh, which sorry. is... Oh, sorry, no, no, sorry. which is excellent, which is all about <laughs> values. It must be a nightmare to be in public life. Uh, and in that sense, you would need a, a calling... To, to do it, we talked earlier about the, the stresses and strains of, of people's perception of what, go, of what goes on. Uh, you've talked just a moment ago about uh, togetherness, we can do things better together. You've talked about fairness, equality of wealth. Are there other key values that perhaps drive your desire to be in public life? I think those are the key things. And, you know, it, it's a really difficult time to be a politician because, you know, we knock on the doors and everybody says, you're, you're all the same, you never do what you promise, and you're only in it for yourself. Uh, and I've got, to, I've got to say, I actually think that most politicians are not like that, that. I think, you know, most politicians are motivated by wanting to help people. Now, we obviously have a disagreement about how we go about doing that, and that's where, you know, that's where some of the disagreements come in. But I think most people who get into politics are motivated to wanting to help other people and wanting to make the world uh, a better place. And because there's never enough money to do that, and it usually does come down to money, that's why we have disagreements. And I think that's why you do need to have you know, these core beliefs and things that guide you when things get tough, because things never go the way that we want them to do. So it is this, you know... I do think we, we, you know, we shouldn't all just be out for ourselves. We should be working together. And as I said, the work, the work that happened when we, when we got rid of street prostitution in this area, and we were told that could never happen, and it was only by everybody working together that we actually managed to do that. So, so that's a core belief that, and you know, that works into into my belief that you know perhaps you know that the state and the council and the government there are some roles that are more important for them and things that they should do best rather than everything being done for a profit. So the NHS, for instance, I think should be in public hands and, and the role of you know, profit really shouldn't come into um, treating people and making medical decisions. But also this belief in social justice and the fact that actually we, you know, we are a rich country and it doesn't always appear that because there are so many people who don't benefit from the wealth of our country, and that's something that motivates me, that when the economy does well, I want everybody to benefit, not just a few people at the top. We, we don't see that at the moment, so it is through doing things like raising the minimum wage, making sure that people get the training they need, uh, that we can guarantee and get them jobs, so that everybody in this wonderful town and this wonderful country can benefit, uh, and that is something that really motivates me, that's something that you know, drives me on every day. Thank you. A lot of um, commentary, social commentary, would say around the world that the bedrock of life is relationship, uh, and what makes those relationships stable is a family structure, a, a societal order, and not just faith groups that would say that. What might we expect a Labour government to do in terms of supporting and strengthening the family? 
Well, certainly, you know, um, we've, we've seen today a marvellous example of two people, um, you know, getting together and giving great joy. And, you know, Carol is, just gives me so much support as well. And I, 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 you know, I, absolutely I would not be here today uh, if it wasn't for the support that, that Carol has given me. And I, I see that with so many families, but also I see families that go through really difficult times and really tough times just because of the pressures that are put on, put on them by society. Um, and that can be, you know, it can be through lack of money, but it can be through ill health um, and various other things. And what as a party we want to do, as an individual, what I want to do is give everybody that firm bedrock so that, you know, there are, there are certain things that you can guarantee. You can guarantee that you will have a decent income. You can guarantee that you'll have a home over your head. Um, and the... Through that, um, you you'll have some certainty, so that those very very important relationships that you've got are not are not uh, are not tested and put asunder by the pressures of society, but the society actually helps you to stay together and grow and nurture and cherish each other. Can I pick up the the, the issue about a home over your your head? Uh, we, we we know from as you will from experience that people's relationships break down and they find themselves without a roof over their head, sometimes through no obvious fault of their, of their own. They are plunged into uh, an economic crisis of sorts. We as a community seek to help people that find themselves in that predicament and we find it sometimes incredibly difficult to get the help and support that they need. We find it difficult to find a roof to place over people's heads and sometimes we find that our support actually makes it harder because we're loving and caring for them. Somebody else doesn't need to. What, what might we expect to see change in that area? Because I think you and I both would agree that that's an unacceptable position. And I'm thinking locally as much as nationally. Absolutely. Uh, and we've, we have made a start on this. I mean, the, the, the sad fact of the matter is that there, there isn't enough housing. There isn't enough affordable housing for people that need it. Uh, and this, you know, this probably started off... Uh, back in the 1980s when um, council houses started to be sold off. And, and I don't think most people have a problem with that, but the problem is that they weren't replaced. So there's a real problem uh, of a shortage of affordable housing. So we have in Ipswich, as I said, started to build council houses again, uh, probably nowhere near as much as we need to. Uh, and what we've said, if we get a Labour government, that actually we, there will be a lot more support for house building and affordable housing uh, so that we can actually give housing that people housing that they need. Um, but there are other things that we can do as well. And we've, we've done a lot of work uh, in Ipswich about bringing empty homes back into use uh, because there are uh, astonishingly, given that there is such a, you know, there are real problems with housing. There are a lot of homes that have been left empty for many years, often due to quite sad individual circumstances. Uh, but as a council, we've, we've set a lot of money aside and we've been very successful in bringing those empty homes back into use. So that's a big help as well. And we've also uh, set up a completely new homeless families unit. It used to be uh, up at West Villa near the hospital, uh, which was an old Victorian workhouse. And I think that probably said a little bit, bit about uh, about the status of that. But we've set up a new one in southwest Ipswich around Newnham Court, where uh, absolutely fantastic now. And there are self-contained flats so that families can go in there, absolutely have dignity while they're in that temporary accommodation, and we can, we can find them new housing as well. 
but fundamentally we've got a problem of a shortage of affordable housing in this country for people who need it and that is what we need to do more of and that's what uh, a Labour government is absolutely pledged to do. Lots of people are attributed with the quote about the strength or the maturity of a society is related to how well it cares for the most uh, vulnerable. So perhaps continuing our, uh, our thoughts about those that find themselves in a vulnerable uh, position, both at the beginning and end of life, it's said at the moment that the most dangerous place to be is in a woman's womb in our country. And then at the end of life, we have the, the kind of media uh, uh, highlighting disregard for people in, in old people's homes and in nursing homes and, and so on. What might we expect from a Labour government to particularly champion support for people at both ends in that vulnerability? Certainly, I mean, there, there are, you know, there are concerns about level of funding in the NHS, and uh, we, as a Labour Party, we have agreed, um, we've got firm plans about how we can increase funding for the NHS, and part of that is around ensuring that there are more midwives. Uh, there is a shortage of midwives uh, in the country, uh, so we would have more funding both for training uh, and employment of more midwives, so that uh, so that. When, uh, when a woman gives birth, you can, it will be guaranteed that there will be a one-to-one -one contact with you. Um, we do find that uh, quite often due to staff shortages, um, although there is somebody there with you, um, it's chopping and changing all the time and, and you know, uh, women are left alone and feeling vulnerable for some time. So we want to actually absolutely make sure um, that uh, it is it's a better experience uh, for women when they give birth. With regards to um, as we get older, I mean, this is something that it, it is worrying me probably more than anything about our country at the moment because we've got an increasingly elderly population, uh, yet we're probably spending less money on looking after them now um, than, than at any time. And I've heard some absolutely horrendous tales about the treatment of care workers um, I heard about somebody who they get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and they don't get home till 11 o'clock at night and they're driving round Suffolk, going to Shopley, Ipswich, Stowe Market, um, Hadley. They don't get paid for travelling between, uh, between the visits uh, and they're just absolutely exhausted at the end of it and the, you know, they're paid the absolute minimum wage. And I just think that if, you know, if somebody's looking after my mum or dad... You know uh, that that's got to be one of the you know the highest callings that you can have is to look after your parents, and yet we treat our carers so so badly, uh, and this is this is something that you know I think will be a big cause for me if I'm elected, because we're sitting on a ticking time bomb with social care. We're getting older and older, but we're spending less money on it, and we see in some of the care homes as well people are just put there and they're left, uh, and it is not a happy end to their lives and this is something that we do fundamentally need uh, to put a lot more effort into as a country to ensuring that as we get older we can still leave full uh, and, and enrich lives. And would you support the assisted dying bill? Uh, I, this, is, this is one, I mean usually you get politicians will tell you that they absolutely you know uh, what they want. Uh, I'm going to have to be honest here and say you know I'm going to have to make my mind up if I'm elected but I have, I have real issues with this. Um, I've, I've met people who, at the end of their lives, if they know they've got a terminal condition, they're, they're, you know, their lives are just hell. And 
I, you know, if they, if they do feel that they just can't bear to live with that, then who am I to tell them um, that I'm, you know, we must force them to do that? But equally, I've met, you know, there are people who have terminal illnesses and they want to hang on to life, you know, until that very last breath and do whatever they can. And my real concern is can you put the safeguards in place so that the people who do want to hang on and enjoy their life are not made to feel that they are a burden uh, and, you know, they that they're forced down that route. And that is something that concerns me. And as I say, I just want to be honest enough to say I haven't, you know, I can't reconcile those two things at the moment and I'm going to have to do that if I'm elected. Um, but I have deep concerns, you know, going back to, to Nazi Germany and what euthanasia was, was used as there, that it does become... Goes from voluntary to involuntary, um, and so I can't quite reconcile that at the moment. So I, d- I don't want that to seem like a politician's answer, and uh, that I'm not answering. I actually, uh, you know, probably unusually for a politician, I genuinely don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate your openness and honesty about it. Uh, I've got a few more questions I'd like to cover, so we'll just speed up our, yeah. our, our kind of conversation just a little bit. I- I'm encouraged. Uh, in fact, I'm. I'm it's compulsory for me to talk about my faith. <laughs> in most work environments, it's the complete opposite for people. And yet, we would all agree that spirituality and faith is not an add-on. It's an integral part of being human. So how, how might we see religious freedom uh, protected and indeed promoted I- in the future? Well, certainly, you know, as, uh, as, as a country and where we are now is based on, you know, the freedom of religion, freedom to express religion. So... Uh, you know, I, I fundamentally believe that, you know, for something that is so important to people, um, we should be able to free, we should be free to, uh, to practice religion and to express that religion. Um, I think so, you know, there are, there are, I think there are, there are certain, there are certain times where through overzealousness on the part of, you know, health and safety is always a thing that is sort of, you know, uh, cited as something. There is certain overzealousness there which leads to, which leads to misunderstandings. I, I don't believe that there should be any reason why, uh, somebody cannot live their faith through their work. In fact, I think a lot of people, um, their faith is what takes them into their particular uh, employment and they live it through that and we should we should welcome uh, that that and we should encourage that diversity and ensure that everybody is free to practice their religion as they choose and then thinking uh, much wider afield it's enshrined in law that 0.7 percent of gdp is goes to international aid how might the christian charities that are working around the world support the government in making sure that money is used wisely and carefully and indeed efficiently yeah, I mean, I, it, in terms of international aid, I think this is this is so important, uh, and I think it is important that it's spent on development rather than just disaster relief, uh, because you know it's the old adage about you know if you give a man a fish, then he will eat for a day, but if you give him a rod, then he he will eat uh, for the for the rest of his life. Uh, so clearly, when there are natural disasters. It is important that we spend money and relief on that because that, that is only right and proper. But equally, and, and this is something that the last Labour government really did a lot about, is we need to focus on development within, uh, within the rest of the world. So things like ensuring there are clean water, ad- clean and adequate water supplies, and then moving on to um, electricity, homes, uh, 
increasingly uh, mobile or, or internet connections and so on as well, so that we can, we can enable people in the de- developing world to not always be reliant on relief from us, but they can actually stand on their own two feet. And this is going to be you know, far better from the world and far better from us as a country um, if, we, if, we have a growing, uh, if, if we have a growing economy in the world as well, because you know, people are going to be buying our stuff and we're going to be selling our, selling our things to them as well. Um, so, certainly, in, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of the Christian charities, no, do a, some great amount of work, and I think you are you're collecting for a, a water project. Is that yeah, right? We'll come to yes. that. Yep. Yeah, just after our interview. Uh, so, so you know, th- these I think the ones that are absolutely important. So that in the in the developing world, we can get that absolutely basic infrastructure in place that we all take for granted in this country, and is what enables us to move on and develop as a country. Great. Uh, just coming into land now, thinking about Ipswich, uh, the church, as we know, is by far the largest voluntary organisation. Uh, you're both councillors up and down the country on, on corners of Ipswich. There are churches doing a fantastic job in loving and caring for people and filling in what we might perceive to be the gap. How might we expect the Labour government to really get alongside local churches at, at local level uh, and empower and support the things that are going on? Well, you know, there was, there was at, at the start of this government the talk of big society, which, which I think sort of went went away um, a little bit. But certainly, you know, we, uh, as you say, in, in, in our work as councillors, we see there are, you know, there are government and council organisations that do their thing, but there are lots of people who fall through the cracks. Uh, in that, and it is usually churches and voluntary organisations that pick them up. Uh, and quite often, I've seen, you know, if somebody somebody showed me a diagram once of all the organisations that were looking after homeless people uh, in Ipswich, and it's vast. And the problem is not so much that there aren't enough people doing things; it's perhaps that there's too many, but they're all doing little bits and they're not working together. And what we fundamentally need to do is ensure that we are all working together, we're not going off and doing our own little bits, and that the churches and the other voluntary groups that quite often are the first port of call for people who are in difficulty are fully integrated to that so that you don't have the difficulties that you were talking about earlier, so that we're working together rather than it seems that you're constantly sort of having to push and we're working against you. That's that's really what we need to do. And what might we see in Ipswich over the next four years? You're elected, say, as our MP. Uh, We live in a fantastic town. How is it going to be loads better in, uh, in four or five years' time? Uh, really, you know, certainly what we need to do is, uh, in my view, is, is tackle the cost of living crisis that we've got. Um, I, I went to the food bank a couple of weeks ago. Food bank use has increased by five times uh, over, the, over the last five years. Uh, and that's a lot down to uh, people who've uh, unemployed have been hit by benefit sanctions uh, and people on zero hours contracts who can't budget. So we want to, you know, ensure that we get rid of zero hours contracts, um, stop this punitive benefit system where people just seem to be tripped up. Um, but also, you know, one of the big focuses for Ipswich is, you know, if we if we go down to the town centre, it's not what anybody. You know what most people remember the town centre was, or how it, uh, good as as we would want it to be. And a lot of the problem we've got in Ipswich is that we're historically been a low skill and a low wage economy, and that has an effect. So when retailers want to look at where they might relocate to, they look at where people have got money, and that's not Ipswich at the moment. So one of my priorities, if I'm elected 
is on tackling this skill shortage and the skills deficit that we've got in Ipswich at every level from, you know, from uh, before you go to school to university. We get fewer people from Suffolk going to university year on year. Um, that's a real something that we really, we really need to tackle. We made a start with getting a new university and rebuilding Suffolk College and Suffolk One, but we absolutely need to focus now on teaching within schools and encouraging children to become better skilled and letting them know what jobs are available and what skills they need to do that. And once we do that, I think we'll be a much happier society and hopefully we'll see Ipswich go forward and on to bigger and better things uh, that we all want. Great, thank you very much. We'd love to pray with you. Perhaps, Carol, would you come and, and, and Carol and, and they were both uh, local councillors and we're aware of their work in the community, thankless tasks sometimes, <laughs> whatever persuasion you are. Father, we want to thank you for, for these two people that are serving in public life already in our town. And we want to thank you for every good gift and every opportunity that you have given to them both. And for every noble every honourable, every good endeavour, would you fan it into flame, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Pray for them as a couple and as a family. I lost a friend, Margaret, who died uh, just in the last few hours. We pray your blessing on them and her and her family too. May they know the peace of God at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. David and Carol, thank you ever so much indeed. Jesus.